weird. Spooky. Fear. Welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, episode 16. In uh, this episode, we are talking about three different things. Uh, we're talking about Legend of Sleepy Hollow from Washington Irving, uh, The Devil and Tom Walker from The Same Man, and Young Goodman Brown uh, by Nathaniel Hawthorne. I stumbled over Nathaniel for some reason. Uh, I am Ryan, and with me is my good buddy and fellow host, Jacob. Yes, hello, and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, our little book club, book cult, book thing that we do. This is a fun episode. It's a very seasonal episode. This is the first time I think we've kind of like embraced, you know, tales or stories that make you kind of think of the season. The season, of course, being... Halloween, All Hallows' Eve, Dia de los Muertos, whatever. For some reason, this time of the year kind of brings out the spook in everybody. It brings out kind of the macabre, the sort of supernatural, the yep. stories involved in that. And we'll get into that a little bit before we get into the books or anything. But yes, this is going to be a relatively traditional episode in a sense of how it's laid out. Although, we're talking about three stories today. So yes, it's going to be, this is kind of a... Not at first, because we did a little bit with uh, the Sedaris book last time, where we kind of had different things going on, but that was more of a consistent sort of narrative, like, you know, David was the character and a lot of the stuff, it was his own life, and so we kind of had that consistent tie throughout. Right. This really is going to be three different stories, three different lessons, have you, three different themes, maybe, that we yeah. want to pull from. I know we're not super big on themes, but there'll be a little bit of that this week, and uh, yeah, so I'm interested to dive in that. Pretty traditional episode. We'll tell you a little bit, maybe not so much about the authors, but kind of just the style or maybe sort of the movement genre of, of these, yeah, yeah. Of, of these type of stories. Um, give you a little bit of kind of an overview of what we're going to do with each of them. Uh, then we'll chew it over. We got some questions for ourselves on this. We've got some tie-ins, things that we thought about maybe in between the stories, things that we sort of thought were different or thought were contrasting that we'll get into as well. And then We'll finish the episode in a nice little round way with our patented three tier, four if you're getting rid of it, five if you're using it under a wobbly table, six if you're using it as a <laughs> housewarming gift for the new neighbors that you're surely going to hate and you just want to sort of bring ruin to their family and livelihood by you know giving them that quality of book. So yeah. don't think we're going to get into that today or anytime soon really, but we've got our eyes open for it. Yes. If you think that you've got a book out there that we're going to give, you know, put on the sixth tier which would be far beyond getting it off of our shelf it would be we want to we want to dig a hole and bury it in the ground so that it can't hurt anybody in the way that it hurt us <laughs> hit us up on twitter at better bookshelf let us know we would be terribly interested in maybe giving that a look for uh for humor's sake and after that of course we will uh we'll talk about what we got coming up for the rest of the year uh and uh yeah Anything yes. else, or you just want to get into this? Uh, well, I want to say that if you haven't read these stories, you should. They're extremely short, um, yeah. so you should just pause the episode and go go read the story uh, or stories. Uh, take you a couple hours. Seriously, tops, yeah. Like, the The great thing about the short story genre is that, well, hell, they're short. They're meant to be read <laughs> in one sitting. You know, it's it's one of those things that you can read and digest and. Maybe even read again if you feel so compelled to. So you know, and and it's always interesting to me that short stories this day and age are not more popular than than long form fiction. I may have said it before, but like, 
you know, with with our penchant for like, you know, Twitter and Vine and like just these tiny like consumable things uh, that short stories are are not more popular than uh, than they are. Well, I think you I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that we have medians mediums that are more suited to kind of show these the necessary like not not to say that written you know short stories aren't still great for kind of taking in that type of uh you know that type of material and maybe getting the type of little tidbits out of it but i do think that we have a lot of things kind of resourceful for us to to sort of have that same idea in a more i don't know visually stimulating kind of way be it yeah videos or you know meme pictures i mean let's be real i and i never thought i was going to be making this oh comparison boy. memes you know the internet picture memes on on your instagrams and your likes and i'm showing my age or whatever but i feel like those are the short story of our generation and we can we can circle the wagon back around at the end because i feel like you yeah i feel like you you might be a little passionate about uh discussing that so, but we'll circle the wagons <laughs> back on that later uh but let's get into not so much the authors of washington irving and, and nathaniel hawthorne um, and, you know, I guess to a lesser extent, we didn't read him this time, but he's kind of part of this movement as well, Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. And just talk about real quick this this movement, this genre of fiction. Yeah. So what, what we're talking about here is um, American dark romanticism. And, uh, you know, when, when you think like, you know, romantics, uh, don't think of it as, uh, you know, your grandmother's dime store novels, which, by the way, my grandmother consumed those like they were candy. I mean, the woman read a book a week and she had a tub in her in her closet of just books that she had read that needed to go to half price and like this long it was it was crazy. Anything Yeah. At any rate. Um so that's not what we're talking about. This is not like, you know, weird dark uh romance novels. Um but what this really came of uh or came from is transcendentalism and um, probably anybody that's that's sat in a high school English class has at least a cursory understanding of uh, transcendentalism. Um, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Thoreau, yeah, um, those sort of guys, and and the and and those aren't the only ones. Uh, uh, Margaret Fuller uh, as well, but um, really that uh, that whole movement was sort of born as as a resistance to um sort of the protestant movement um of of the day and um to to probably oversimplify uh what transcendentalism was it was you know basically the thought that um you didn't need spiritual doctrine you didn't need uh you know church and that sort of structure uh to be spiritual that individual thought and exploration and intuition uh, was really the way to like uh, you know spirituality. Yeah. Um. You know. So you you, you get um you get that sense in uh, Thoreau and Emerson's sort of focus on nature and consciousness and uh, and all of that sort of stuff. Some of my favorite stuff to read because it it really is um it really is it is pretty thoughtful um or thought provoking I should say. Uh, dark romantics are sort of the 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 mean cousin, if you will, to, to transcendentalism. Um, they're, they're sort of uh, born out of the, the same sort of disdain for the, um, the Harvard Divinity Schools like thought at the time yeah. of, uh, 
of what religion was supposed to be. Um, but where transcendentalism um, sort of said that, uh, you know, there was inherent divinity or uh, goodness in people that could be explored through sort of their own consciousness and connection to nature and that sort of things. Uh, dark romantics really uh, explored and sort of asserted that people were inherently bad um, yeah. or had uh, sinful uh, characteristics. Um, so you see a lot of that, um, obviously, in these three stories. Uh, you see a lot of that in Poe. I mean, just the, sure. the subject matter that you know that you'd know just sort of uh, colloquially from. So I say that uh, from from, you know, talking about Poe, um, you probably know that even if you've never read him. Um, the, the other person that we we probably left out of the, the conversation is Herman Melville. Um, and and he's he's really the, the other central piece to this, uh, you know, American dark romantics uh, kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I, the, the interesting thing um, about these these guys and Hawthorne specifically is that uh, they really did not like the idea of transcendentalism. Um, they thought Poe, as well, um, thought it was just utter shit. Okay. And uh, some of his stories, and the one that I'm thinking of escapes me uh, right now, but, um, I mean, he, to the point of, like, name-calling, thought it was it was just sort of fluffy ridiculousness. Yeah. Um, and so we get a lot of those those sort of themes, but I think it's, it's important to understand... Uh, the the subgenres roots in transcendentalism and then to, you need to also understand um you know sort of that protestant uh puritan religion um coming into this era where um you know people in the community were judged by their perceived um sort of piousness right yeah um going to church uh, whether they, you know, prayed, they knew scripture, you know, that sort of thing. Hawthorne points that out uh, in the Scarlet Letter, um, you know, that the whole idea of the Salem witch trials and how, you know, people um, interacted um, during that period, Proctor um, and, and that character sort of embodying that, that, that struggle. Um, so it, it's, it, it's, it's important to understand that piece of context as you're coming into it more than, you know, just, just facts about the author. So I kind of wanted to replace that this episode with, with kind of some, some level setting there. Um, I don't think that I've missed anything, but I, I will add that outside of these stories, um, since I, I named Poe Hawthorne and Melville, I would say that uh, Fall of the House of Usher is, uh, is another short to read uh, in this vein, uh, Bartleby the Scrivener uh, from Melville and uh, The Minister's Black Veil by Hawthorne is is also uh, a notable one uh, that came to mind. Um, I think that covers our bases. It's pretty, that's pretty thorough, <laughs> uh, a little bit more so than um, traditional sort of uh, author backgrounds, although this is a little bit of a non-traditional episode, I guess, in the approach that we're taking with it and just kind of the, the stuff that we're covering. Yeah. So as far as summaries go, uh, there is sort of a, there there are kind of underlying themes amongst uh, each of the stories, kind of tying them together. And the reason why I picked you know them kind of in a trilogy one, Sleepy Hollow is a relatively well known story. Yep. Um, within this kind of genre, you know, it's the story of Ichabod Crane and kind of his dealings uh, amongst his town. That uh, you know they're in Sleepy Hollow and then just dealing with the mysterious depist uh, mysterious disappearance at potentially the hands of the Headless Horseman. Then we've got Young Goodman Brown and Devil and Tom Walker, which are both kind of 
in the vein of deals with the devil, which I'm I'm super fascinated by and we'll super get into here in a sec. But yep. I want to see or or I want to ask, I guess, which of the stories like I obviously Sleepy Hollow like Sleepy Hollow is the most well known one. I yes. mean, there's been you know you had Ichabod and Mr. Toad by Walt Disney, and I that's strange that that's the very first one that pops into my mind. But you know, I was a big <laughs> Disney kid. You had the Tim Burton movie Sleepy Hollow, which was not necessarily uh, in keeping in line with the actual written story. It, it, it took some creative liberties there, but clearly the most well-known story. Um, but I would argue that the idea of the deal with the devil is more of a well-known just sort of theme or idea yeah. that you see in kind of human human works of art, whether it's art like actual actually depicting maybe stories. I know one of the sort of original ideas of this was uh faust and you you know you get the term faustian which is kind of just you know the you know having this ambition and and surrendering kind of your moral integrity in order to like reach those those gains albeit short-lived and Mm -hmm. you see that a lot within within art you see it within music there's been a lot of kind of musical representations of this idea of the deal with the devil you see it in movies whether it's the fantastic 80s movie uh crossroads which we yes. were both just reminiscing on before the show <laughs> with the uh, the Steve Vai and Ralph Macchio showdown at the end which was fantastic yes um so for me the most interesting story um was uh, Hawthorne was the young Goodman Brown. What did you What did you think of the three? Which do you think had the most meat on the bone for you, as far as things that you were kind of going into this looking for? You know, so one one thing that that struck me, um, I, I think when we did the Faulkner episode, I underestimated the complexity of of language yeah. going into that. And mentally, having been a few years removed from reading any of these guys, I was I was prepared to like to be challenged with the syntax and I wasn't. So first of all, that that caught me off guard pleasantly. Um, But I think that um, really Devil and Tom Walker um, resounded more with me um, for, for some reason. I think Sleepy Hollow is just so you know, commonly known. Um, although I think there's a lot in there, but I think substance wise, um, especially when it comes to, to sort of thinking about, you know, your, your own life and, and trade-offs and ownership of, uh, the things you, you do. Um, I think that one, that one had the most meat on the bone. Okay. Well, let's start there. Let that's fine. We can, we can loop around to the other stories, but I agree. I liked, uh, Devil and Tom Walker was probably my second favorite. Okay. And it was more so just because I felt like, um, Everything that I liked about Young Goodman Brown was kind of a, and yeah, we can get into this a little bit more about Hawthorne, but it was kind of like in response to the sort of the the sort of Puritan yep. ideals and beliefs, and kind of a reflection on that, you yeah. know, a generation after in dealing with kind of the the aftermath and the outlook on how people looked at that. But the Devil and Tom Walker to me was more of just a, it it was kind of a, it was plainly out there in more of sort of a parable fashion and right. less kind of a examination of of a group maybe or a religious group or anything like that it was more so just an examination of these this idea of being greedy and of being you know overtly kind of covetous or just just incredibly mean-spirited or anything like that and that that sort of was the 
allowing yourself to make this deal with the devil and in doing so ended up being your own kind of downfall in that, which right. was which was interesting. It, it wasn't necessarily something um, that I'm unfamiliar with. It wasn't necessarily a story that kind of you were surprised by any of the twists and turns, although I, I did find the whole interaction between Tom Walker and uh, his wife and that whole yeah. kind of uh, thing. I, I will say this book was the one that made me kind of chuckle because there was a there's a scene where he's in the swamp and he's meeting the devil for the first time and he finally, it, it makes it all kind of clicks in his mind that yeah, he knows yeah, yeah. who he's talking to. And he said he, he had no fear because, you know, he had he had lived for, you know, however long with his wife up until this point. So yeah. he's just like, yeah, he didn't fear the devil. It's whatever. And I thought that was... It was interesting. It was a little bit. It was a little bit mean spirited, but I, I did kind of find it a little bit funny. I, I did um, find that humorous too, and the sort of role reversal that the implication, or I guess, overt uh, knowledge that like his wife was abusive toward yeah. him, like physically. Yeah, which I I, th- I thought was I, th- I thought was entertaining. Well, um, both seem not not to make light of that, but both in in the context of this story, just kind of yeah, that like yeah, juxtaposition <laughs> and just sort of. The pairing of those two just being so like mean spirited and just kind of like irritable and ill people to to sort of be around that it was it 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 felt like it was more there to kind of drive home you know just these like bad characteristics and this bad nature because when he goes out to you know his wife has been missing she came back and then she got everything and she she right. wandered off and found out that he, she had taken like all the valuables, all the silver, all this stuff to go out and try to bargain with the devil. Yep. And she never comes back. And so he's like out looking for her. He's, you know, worried, but it seems like he's more so worried about, you know, wow, dude, I got to go get all this stuff back or I got to go figure all right. this out. And then when he gets to the actual swamp and sees kind of uh, her, uh, her apron or her, her dress, whatever she had taken yeah, it with yeah. kind of bundled up on a tree. He thought, Oh, fantastic. All this stuff's still here. She's yeah. gone, whatever, but yeah. the stuff's still, and it's just like, Oh God, what an awful person. And then, you know, finds out it's her heart and liver. And so his thought is, you know, well, I'm kind of relieved that the devil has, now I can go on with my dealings with the devil here and uh, not have to worry about necessarily splitting, you know, the riches or anything with her. So just really driving home, you know, this like kind of super greedy, just super uh, antithesis of like a good natured person. Well, and the the irony to all of that is is they're poor too. Like, sure. so you know they're they're not like uh, you know you think of 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 rich people as expensers, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, penny um, pinchers, yeah. But you know they're 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 poor. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of there was a lot of layers of of things like that in here. But um, you know, I I think it's it's sort of. Uh, just a, a copy and paste in, in a thematic way of, you know, just sort of your, your standard, you know, bargaining, um, you know, for, for, you know, bettering. And we were talking about like, you know, what is, what does it mean to, to make a deal with the devil? And, um, you know, I, in part it's, it's, you know, bargaining some part of your, um, you know, moral, uh, character or maybe society's, um, you know, morals, for some kind of shortcut to something, right? Yeah, and you know, in a lot of cases, it is it is riches, um, and uh, you know, in in this it was. But the thing that was more interesting to me 
was really the way that this this whole tale kind of wrapped up is that, you know, he he went through and, you know, was prosperous, albeit, you know, unhappy. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it really never bit him until, you know, he basically said, well, if, you know, I've if I prospered or uh, what was the actual quote? I think. Well, I he said, yeah, if I had prospered, you know, one pittance or one, yeah, whatever one it was. Literally three knocks at the door. Hey, what's up, dude? Time to go. And I, I thought that was that was kind of the the poignant thing to me is is not so much the sort of age old thing um of you know, if if you bargain your your life away for, for something like this and yeah. don't earn it honestly, then you know it will be taken or there will be a price to pay. Um but you almost make that eventuality worse by not owning the fact that you did in fact, you know, violate some moral code, um, you know, to, to get to this point. And, you know, I, I think we talk about like, um, you know, people getting in trouble for, um, you know, crimes they commit or something. A lot of times, you know, if people admit to, to the crimes that they, they went through, uh, and, and committed, you know, they could plea out of that stuff um, but if you lie and make false statements, then it's just sort of this like cascading uh, effect, you know, legally, even, you know, in modern times, a lot of people yeah. get in trouble for the sort of cover up uh, as opposed to the actual crime. I mean, hell, Richard Nixon is a perfect example of, yeah. you know, that. And so that was it's as much a cautionary tale against sort of not owning who you are and what you have uh, as much as it is, you know, bargaining your your morals to get something. Yeah. What did you think about, um, the end, I guess, in a sense, kind of it's, it's, it's critique and it's criticism of maybe people that are overly like overly sort of showing example of how, you know, deeply faithful they are, deeply religious they are in an effort to try to sort of subvert that idea. Because you see in the story, Tom Walker later in his life, he thinks, well, I'm getting older, you know, I'm going to outsmart the devil. I'm going to keep a Bible with me. I'm going to keep a Bible at my at my table. I'm going to go to church and be like, oh, you know, I'm going to pray loudly and openly and wildly so everyone sees me and sings all these hymns and they'll think of me as this like very, very, you know, deeply outwardly religious person. Meanwhile, he's still very much like taking advantage of of people's trust and faith in him and, and, and lending and, you know, pretty much just being a generally bad person. Like, what do you think? I mean... Obviously, I think that that is sort of a that is sort of a, a, a an additional cautionary tale in that sense that yeah. it's like don't think that just because you know someone or sometimes the people who are the loudest voices amongst sort of the crowd for you know being righteous or being you know having high moral standing that they're the people who truly are are doing so because of their own I guess. <laughs> Not yeah. ineptitude, but just their own sort of feelings about how, you know, what they've done, or maybe their own kind of insecurities with sort of the deals that, not necessarily that they made with the devil, but the deals that maybe they've made with themselves as far as uh, shifting here or there from from where they would consider themselves kind of in a morally good place. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's... It's obviously, I mean, you could you could apply this to, to any number of things, but um, it, it's it's sort of a commentary on you know sort of change versus just appearances, and and yeah, that's that's a theme um, you know that's that's prevalent uh, throughout the the whole subgenre, um, especially when it comes to religion. 
that, um, you know, just saying you believe something or trying to sort of have this this personality or um, to talk the talk. St- yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but but never have like any actual, you know, attempt to change, um, I think is, uh, is, is poignant. And, and that's, you know, one of the things that, um, that is intended, um, in, in this story is, as being a, a, a cautionary tale. But uh, I mean, if, if you think about like modern times that I'm, I'm going to kind of like go off on a, on a weird little tangent here, okay. but, um, you know, if you think about just like the the conversation that we're having politically in in America right now, um, there is you know obviously the speculation that the the president's campaign you know worked with with Russia to you know get him elected, um, you know through social media and you know potentially you know compromising information and. All that kind of stuff, and and that's not new. I mean, the, all of that kind of stuff has been happening for for decades and decades. Every uh, person who's running for office, you know, goes through uh, that that process to understand the dirt on you know whoever their oh, their opponent. Would oh, be. absolutely. It's just it's a mix of yeah, just like undermining public confidence, disinformation, yeah. just I guess just understanding i guess the opponent's playbook in a sense to try to maybe be a move ahead of them or something like that like yeah it's, for sure so I, I got to thinking about all of that a lot while i was while i was reading uh these stories but this one specifically um just because of of that sort of similar theme and you know again i'm not i'm not making a judgment that you know this any of what occurred in in the last campaign is uh, is true or, or asserting my political beliefs therein. Um, but it, it is an interesting, you know, concept to think that, uh, you know, Russia undisputedly is, uh, is an adversary of the United States. And the idea that a, you know, presidential candidate would, um, seek out our sort of enemy, um, to get information uh, or to help in some ways, it was it was kind of eerie to think about like, oh, it's sort of selling yourself to the devil. And then, you know, indulge the indulge the idea. Suppose that they have, you know, uh, compromising information on the president uh, that, you know, they could use to leverage it at some point, even just the information maybe that, you know, they they work together on this. Um, it was sort of a, a, a sort of modern uh, application of the parable um, you know, that at, at any point in time, you know, if, if he decides, you know, not to, to own up to this, um, that, you know, the devil could enforce, uh, you know, the, the, the terms of, of their contract, whether that's, you know, favorable, you know, political, uh, you know, considerations or just causing ruin. Um, see, no, I get what you're coming from, hundred percent. I I agree that a lot of the the interesting factor of just sort of the idea of selling your soul to the devil, and yeah. I, I'm doing air quotes because I've just used that as like kind of a concept that we're talking about right. here on a more broader scale. I I agree that is an interesting thing. I think though, for me, the most interest like it's it's on a more individual basis because I can think back to like times in my own life where it's you kind of have this moral test, right? Where it's like, sure, do I sure do I do something um, a little bit more immoral in order to advance my own goals in order to kind of just say, well, the ends justify the means. If I get there and I do this, then I'll do things that 
that more than justify maybe the roundabout way you take in, in getting in there. And yeah. you know, I think that's something, again, if there's one thing that I think makes for good storytelling or good reading or just good literature, good anything, is relatability. And just this, this is one of the most, I think, relatable concepts that we've probably ever hit on on the show so far. Yeah. And just one of the most relatable concepts in general is this idea of, because, and, and we'll talk about this a little more in Young Goodman Brown, but the, the basic idea in my mind is that the devil is kind of an external representation of a lot of like what is truly internal within human behavior. When we talk about kind of the, your moral standards and we talk about sort of that side of ourselves that that is willing to make sacrifices in in those realms in order to accomplish our goals and it's 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 complicated because in a lot of ways you know there there is there is some measure to the idea of well ends do sometimes justify the means if if right. this end happens and let's say i it's me and another uh person and, and we work in the same job and we're going for a promotion and maybe you know I uh, not that this is this is not a true example. This is I, this is not happening to me. I'm just I'm coming up with this on the spot. Maybe I spread the rumor that Jim is an alcoholic or something, right? Like terrible thing to do. Jim's probably a great guy, but I really want that job. Like I really right, want this right. this manager like this managerial job because I think that I have like all of these great ideas that are going to increase like productivity at the factory and it's going to bring everybody up as far as like pay levels and all this other great stuff and it's going to have all these great sort of consequences because of it right so maybe i spread a little rumor that jim's an alcoholic and that gets to the higher ups and maybe they think there's a, a bit of credibility to that and in doing so they decide maybe to pass over jim for me for the job hey i'm i'm now the manager of this of this factory and maybe maybe the ends of me getting to that position are that everything's great you know productivity's up we've created all these new jobs we've done all this great stuff that benefits so many of these other people but even still, in the back of your mind, there's no escape from the idea of sort of the consequences that we that we get, even if it's not seemingly so much like a uh, like maybe Jim shows up and he's mad at you because he knows you spread the rumor or yeah, something and yeah. gets in a fight or like does something crazy like that or anything. But the consequences are always there, like even within kind of your own your own mentality. Like you can't you can't escape from. I don't know, from your own choices, your own decisions, yep. and whether or not you're able to, you know, say that the ends justify the means. And I know I'm kind of just getting off like on a really big tangent here, but it is, it's, it, it truly is like a really fascinating thing on a more individual level. It's just kind of like looking at yourself and saying like, okay, how, how have I done things like this? Or how could I foresee, or, or maybe even the opposite, like how have you been able to resist the devil's temptation in, in instances? And, and I think that that is a truly kind of, you know, that's a human experience that everyone is that everyone has had in some form or fashion. I do think uh, on on the idea of of resistance, um, I think it's interesting that in this story, um, nobody resists the temptation. Right. His wife At goes all. for it. They're just immediately he de- all about he it. delays it because of his his own personal greed. Right. And not wanting to, sh- to share with his wife. And like, even if you look at the at the people who um, you know, borrowed money. Obviously, he was of ill repute by the time he was he was wealthy, but still, people, you know, needed that service for for whatever. Yeah. Um. I mean, uh, and and I think even even his comment uh, at the end that causes the the devil to to take him. I mean, it's still um. You know, there is no resistance to uh to sort of evil. And again, it hits on that theme 
that um, that the dark romantics try to make, which is, you know, that that people um, have inherent evil. And I think, you know, it's obviously amplified in this story for a lot of reasons. But, um, yeah, I, I I think that, uh, you know, this the, the one thing that got me about this this story was you know, just sort of the, the, the whole like fable kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 I hate stories that have like a moral point at the, at the end. Sure. Sure. Um, sure. Um, you know, but that's just sort of, that, that was obviously what this was supposed to be, uh, stylistically. I mean, I feel like that's just kind of an aspect of human behavior. Like I feel the most poignant way to get across kind of lessons of yeah. of moral ambiguity or, or anything like that is through the usage of, of stories they're relatable and they're easy to remember and easy to tell and easy to pass on and i feel like that's just managed to manifest itself into these things that now it's like oh well that just kind of evolved to be the easiest way through human passing down to be the kind of the moral guidance lesson here yeah i mean obviously it kind of, I mean, that's what that's what the Bible does, right? right. And I suppose uh, other religious texts uh, that you know don't have a tie over to to the Bible, you know, parables and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, the idea is, well, I mean, just the text in in, in its entirety uh, is, you know, it's not an instruction book per se. It's a collection of stories that are meant to, you know, provide a, a study about how to, you know, conduct yourself yeah. or what to believe. Um, and this is sort of the, uh, what not to do. Yeah. <laughs> thankfully of, now, thankfully now we've evolved and we just have internet memes for our source of guidance. But again, yes, we'll I'll put that off some more. We'll come back around to that. I don't want to spend too much time on the story cause we do yeah. have two other stories that we need yeah. to get to. And we have spent a little bit of time on this. So I want to jump right into young Goodman Brown. Let's do it. So very similar in the same vein of, you know, going and making sort of a pact with the devil we're not necessarily Although we don't sure. know why. We're not ne- yeah, we're not necessarily sure because this story is more it's not really saying, you know, it's not really showing us the downfalls of making a pact with the devil. It's more so showing kind of like a poignant hypocrisy that sort of exists and and you know, this was a little bit and I have a quote from Hawthorne who wrote it that okay. was that I guess gives a lot of credence to uh to the things that we're kind of seeing in this story. And this is uh, the wrongdoing of uh, one generation lives into uh, the successive ones, which yep. is interesting coming from Hawthorne. I know we didn't talk a lot about like author's background or, or upbringing or anything like that. But Hawthorne, his great grandfather, I think, was uh, it heavily involved in the, the Salem witch trials. Yeah. And so a lot of like Puritan beliefs and a lot of the things that kind of occurred because of that. Hawthorne was kind of a direct beneficiary from, you know, his family was pretty well off because of that. And right. And so a lot of what you see, I guess, in his writing is sort of a uh, a rebuttal of some sorts, just kind of to like, uh, just just sort of in a way to like Puritan beliefs or, or actions or um, just the history of sort of unseen, you know, wrongdoing that's yeah. in there. And this this story is like just fraught with that. It's just very much that's the forefront of the entire story. Is well, look, there's the pastor, there's the the lady that taught you the catechism, 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 catechism. All right, it's one of those. Whatever, Cate- catechism. Catechism. Thank you. I'm good at pronouncing <laughs> I, things. I was gonna, I was yeah, gonna lay catechism. you out on that one. You know, it's you see all of these people that are supposedly you know like central like 
up upstanding and, and righteous folk in the community and yeah. you have the the devil figure pretty much saying like oh i've known them for for years we've had many a dealing together even your father you know even all of these people and you know when it's kind of coming to the end and he has all of this there at this sort of altar and all of these other voices and faces and figures and even faith you know his wife and it's yep. just it completely alters the way you know he looks at at the people around him and just sort of kind of becomes jaded and completely put off by this sort of facade of, of righteousness. But really it's, it's just sort of moral darkness. Yeah. And I, I think the commentary he's trying to make there is, you know, really one about just sort of like religion in, in general of, of that time period. And it is, um, not that you should be free thinking because that was sort of the prevailing attitude was that, you know, you, you go to church, you, you know, give your, your offering, uh, you learn your catechism, you know, you, you do all of these things. Um, but what you don't do is, you know, sort of use your own, um, you know, intelligence to, to be introspective and to find spirituality outside of those things. And so I think his, his commentary, um, and, and sort of the, uh, you know, illusion of, of bringing this entire community. I mean, yeah. all the, all the pious people that he knows, including his wife together is really to say, isn't this just bullshit? And you know, that it, it really is the, 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 you know, organization that has been created, it it is uh, rotten from within once you sort of peel back uh, the facade of, of society. Yeah. All right. I've got to read from the book okay. or from the story. This is obviously like towards the end. This, it's a little bit of an excerpt, but um, this bit was the whole kind of everything for me in this story. And like I said, I think this was my favorite of the three. So okay. we got to get into it. So we're, we're towards the end here. And uh, so I guess background, this is he's at the, the altar and the figure is speaking to him. Welcome, my children, said the dark figure to the communion of your race. You have found thus young your nature and your destiny. My children, look behind you. Got to turn the page. <laughs> uh, they turn and flashing forth, as it were, in a sheet of flame, the fiend worshippers were seen. The smile of welcome gleamed darkly on every visage. There, resumed the sable form. All are whom you've uh, all are whom you've reverenced from youth. You deem them holier than yourselves and shrank from your own sin, contrasting it with their lives of righteousness and prayerful aspirations heavenward. Yet here they all are in my wor- or here they all in my worshiping uh, Jesus. Yet here are they in my worshiping assembly. This night it shall be granted to you to know their secret deeds. How hoary-bearded elders of the church have whispered wanton words to the young maids of their households. Have many a woman eager for widow's weeds have given her husband a drink at bedtime and let him sleep his last sleep in her bosom. How beardless youths have made haste to inherit their father's wealth and how fair damsels, blush not sweet ones, have dug little graves in the garden and bidden me the sole guest to an infant's funeral. By the sympathy of your human hearts for sin, you shall send out all the places whether in church, bedchamber, street, field, or forest, where crime has been committed and shall exult to behold the whole earth, one stain of guilt, one mighty blood spot. Far more than this, it shall be yours to penetrate in every bosom the deep mystery of sin, the fountain of all wicked arts, and which inexhaustibly supplies more evil impulses than human power. Just kind of like you said, just that yeah. sort of nihilistic, just 
the the whole state of everything of, of human behavior is uh, the spirituality is just kind of just morally wrong or just at its core is just evil and I don't know it's that that idea to me is is fascinating and I know a lot of it is sort of of the time period yeah just like you you have a direct sort of response to sort of the persecution by the Puritans within, you know, Salem Witch Trials or just kind of their treatment of indigenous people or just sort of just their sort of perversion in general towards kind of their religious ideals onto others. But that just the idea of the wrongdoing of one generation lives into the successive ones. Yeah. Obviously very poignant, not even not just talking about time period, but we talk about, you know, kind of how that relates to our own personal lives, not even getting into just sort of so many different uh so many different political topics but just that idea in and of itself i think is incredibly insightful that you know you that whether or not you kind of are involved necessarily in in things that you you have a responsibility to sort of see to that in a sense like in respective generations i don't know sure that's that's the idea that i'm i'm thinking of here more so kind of in relation to like my own life is that I don't know. What do you, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I've I've got a lot. Um, <laughs> I know. I'm just kind of throwing all this at you right now. Yeah. So, like, I guess I'll talk about my my own religion, uh, and I'll I'll try to keep it as like um, respectful to to my like my family as as possible. But um, you know, I was I was brought up. Uh, like Lutheran, which is, you know, very like Catholic light. Um, and, uh, you know, I went, I went to Lutheran schools and, uh, you know, church and like all this kind of stuff. And at, at a point when I was, when I was going to, to school, I, I made a, a break from all of that and just sort of came to my own conclusions on, you know, organized religion and, and theology and, and, you know, what it was that, that I believed. And, um, so something that's interesting that's that's happened sort of since then is is you know my family's reaction and questions about like you know well we've always believed this uh yeah. you know where you know what did where did you kind of go go off and and make a, a different decision or decide this is not true and uh it's it's fascinating uh to have those conversations because uh, the, the argument that I'm constantly presented with is not um, sort of a, uh, you know, th- theological discussion about anything. Uh, it, it, it's really just, you know, well, you were brought up this way. Yeah, you, it's a generational thing. Yeah. Like, you know, we, we did all these things. Uh, this yeah. is just this is who we are. Why does this you know, why is that not uh, your your deal? Um, you know, so I, I think I think it's it's kind of interesting that sort of expectation that things will perpetuate. Yeah. Um, even though my parents like taught me to be free thinking, you know, person, they they educated me uh, and uh, and all of that kind of stuff. So it, it's it, it, it's really it's really interesting. But I'll try to keep this this part of it short. Um, but I've, I've talked about it before, all my like research into my grandmother's life and stuff. And and if you haven't listened to any of our other podcasts, I've, I've talked about this before. My grandmother was a normal German, grew up during World War II. She was uh, she was a child during the war. Uh, she was born in 1933. And uh, 
one of the things that I'm that I'm reading about right now uh, is the um, the occupation after the war. Yeah, and how um, the, the the sins of the generation before um, uh, being her parents and and her uh, her grandparents um, bringing this regime to to power um, were taken out. You know horribly and, and, and forcibly yeah. um, on, on even children. I mean, b- murder, rape, uh, you know, uh, the the worst possible things. And, uh, you know, it sort of created this like silent generation of uh, of people who, who kind of went through this, um, this occupation uh, and sort of paid for the sins of, of their parents. And, you know, that's something that, that my grandmother, you know, has carried very, very heavy, uh, you know, through her, her entire life. And, um, so it's, it's, it's interesting that, you know, you do in some regards, you know, pay for the, the sins of your parents, just, just as, you know, your, your genetics, uh, pass down certain traits. I think your, uh, parents uh, expect you to carry on certain, you know, family traits as well, traditions and beliefs and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that was a <laughs> that was a long dissertation. No, that's fine. This is this is this is a tangential episode for sure. Um, so so what else in the story outside of just this idea? Was there anything else that kind of stood out to you that you wanted to kind of hit on or that piqued your interest a little bit? Yeah, and maybe we can use this as a as a tie over to to talk about uh, Sleepy Hollow. Um, we didn't talk about it in uh, in the previous one, um, which is uh, sort of the idea of of nature and specifically like the woods. Yeah. Um, that was central to this one, uh, almost more, uh, than, than anything else. Yeah, this, this one more so, but all three definitely have that kind of spiritual mystique and supernatural mystique of the woods or just the, the unclaimed territory, the American frontier. And, uh, sorry, continue. No, I was just, I mean, that's, uh, that's kind of the long and short of it is that, you know, the, the woods were a symbol uh, throughout this this period, um, you know, as uh, as evil, right? Uh, Hawthorne used it in the Scarlet Letter as the the place where the, the witches supposedly gathered. Yeah, uh, you know, it's sort of the place that you can uh, have secrets and you know have illicit affairs and you know all that kind of stuff. Um, and the woods are just as much a, a character in these stories, you know, as as uh, as the people themselves. Um, and you know, I, I think it's it's interesting. Like we were we were talking about the woods, like you know, being being a scary place. Like when you're when you're a kid or when you're alone. Uh, yeah, I mean, like even it, it is weird because there's not there's not this like tangible there's not this like tangible idea or something that it's like well you know oh there's I could get poison ivy or you know like rational thoughts and your yeah, ideas yeah. of why you should be afraid of. Of the woods, but I don't know if it is just kind of that ingrained idea, maybe in like having taken in sort of supernatural stories, or maybe just maybe it's just kind of a unique idea or, or feeling that's kind of tied in with human nature, where something about just the woods is very in its kind of mystery and its kind of just uh, just overwhelming nature of it, and especially you know at the time a lot of this sort of like early nineteenth century talking about, you know, the 18th century type stuff, you know, you have America as a very newly developed area, a very newly developed place. It's so massive. It's so, you know, mysterious. You have, you know, Native Americans that are still kind of at odds here with with 
on with with settlers that are coming in and you have just this whole you know so much of the mystique and the supernatural and the superstitious and just sort of the macabre of that kind of of this era of like early american pioneer days you know settling is the fact that you have this kind of mixture of European religion and European folktales and all that stuff sort of transposed onto America, but you don't have these, you don't have these like massive churches with histories. You don't have these monuments. You, you have the, the one uniqueness of the kind of American experience at that time was the location was the, the yeah. environments, the, you know, just the, the landscape. And so it's, it's not surprising to me that the landscape becomes that, that element that maybe you would see in more, I guess, traditional stories, you would see kind of specific, uh, I don't know, more specific people and places, but you don't necessarily have that history of it yet in America. So you just kind of have this nebulous idea of, well, that's where the devil lives, in the forest, and that's where it's it's dark and mysterious, and so we give it these associative traits of, you know, we, we have a tendency to kind of... Uh, anthropomorphize things and so the forest then becomes this like dark dangerous brooding place where evil lives and where people go to you know sell their souls or to commit you know acts of of witchcraft or things like that so <laughs> but still to this day i don't know what it is man i, I you yeah. know you still kind of have that i don't know if it's just an association that you're just sort of made to believe over the course of hearing stories or just you know, spending whatever brief moments you, you spend maybe out in the wilderness and, and doing the wilderness, whatever. We yeah. live in Dallas, the <laughs> wilderness, you know. But, yeah, I, I, I do think that that's, that's interesting because there have been plenty of times when, you know, as an, even as an adult, like as a kid, obviously, you know, you're scared of everything. So yeah, who cares? yeah, yeah, but yeah. Like even as an adult, if it's like nighttime and I'm out camping with my friends, if I like wander off from the campsite to go pee or something in the woods, you do kind of get a little bit, you get a little bit kind of glancy maybe. You never oh, yeah. know, you know, but... I don't know. That's just that's that's kind of crazy when you think about it from like a rational standpoint. Yeah, but it's it's sort of the the fear of the unknown. And, and yeah. you know, if you've ever stood in, in woods before, you know, with with all the trees, like nothing's uniform. Uh, you know, your eyes tend to see things that aren't there, whether it's, you know, movement. Uh, you know, the, the, the trees themselves constantly make noise. There are creatures running around and, you know, the foliage down below or up above or both. Um so, yeah, I mean, there's just there's there's it's a quiet place. But at the same time, uh, it's it's also uh, a really can be creepy uh, yeah. if, if you just, you know, sort of pause and uh, and take it all in. Um, so let's let's talk about let's talk about Sleepy Hollow. OK, um, let's get it in here, because this is the this is the creepiest uh, story, um, I think. Yeah, because this one is less so... Well, this one is definitely a contrasting theme. The first two, we had a very kind of deal with the devil premise, and then they both kind of take separate routes with getting to sort of the idea that they're trying to propose. This one yeah. is more so just a spooky story, Yeah, <laughs> in a way. I mean, there is a little bit of a lesson to be learned there, and, and just kind of the idea of whenever you see Ichabod starting to, to court... And uh, it's just he's starting to think about like the potential wealth and inheritance that if he were to if he were to marry, do all this and that kind of drives as his main motivational force. And you can kind of see this as a little bit of a kind of uh, um, a lesson onto that. Less so, though, um, I feel like just again, with the way that the story's resolved and the way that it kind of ends, it makes you think like, is this truly he's you know, he's kind of uh 
he's kind of having this, you know, experience or is it, is it kind of a lesson in, um, allowing that because, you know, even earlier in the books when he's, when he's teaching and, you know, he has his book with all of the kind of local ghost stories of the area. And so he's very big into those or he's talking to all the wives of the town whenever he's staying with (laughs) them and going around or doing song lessons. So it's, is it one of those things where, you know, the parable maybe or the lesson to be learned here is maybe if you allow yourself to kind of build up on these sort of uh, these sort of scary expectations or these sort of, uh, you know, supernatural things that you can be taken advantage of by potentially another suitor. Because, again, we kind of get this. Sure. Uh, is it was it the headless horseman? Was it uh, was it bones? Was it, you know, it yeah. kind of just a means of like getting Ichabod out of there so that he could have his way and. I don't know. There is a little bit of a lesson, I guess, to be learned in there to have kind of a a, a better approach than that, maybe. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the I think the postscript of this story sort of firmly sets, at least in my mind, that this is really just supposed to be a yarn. I mean, you've got this yeah. old guy drinking a glass of wine, you know, telling telling the story. And, you know, he's like, ah, you know, for me, I didn't believe half of it is is, you know, how the story ends. And. Um, you know, so I do think that he's he's just trying to, uh, you know, tell a story here to be entertaining yeah. um, more than to try to get across a, a moral point. But um, to that end, like there there is there is still some, you know, uh, question of of morals and, you know, should uh, should he have you know wanted more than maybe his, you know, social uh, equity allowed, um, and what was the cost of that, yeah. uh, potentially, you know, uh, by, by Fair the enough. suitor or, you know, him going into the, into the forest, uh, uh, by himself, uh, in the middle of the night. Um, but, um, the one thing that, that, that struck me about this story was that like ghost stories are kind of a lost art. Like, I don't feel like that's just something we like, sit around. I mean, shit, we've been around campfires together and like, you know, hung out late at night. And I don't think you and I have ever like sat down and been like, I'm going to tell you about the time Sasquatch caught me at the, well, there was that one time with Sasquatch when we were, we were both there. So I didn't need to tell you that story, but yeah, no, no. And I get it. Um, and even like more so, I guess to your point, cause we kind of touched on at the beginning, the very beginning of the show, just the idea of like short stories or like having those, like we tell anecdotes, right? Like you, you have stories that you tell to your friends, but I guess just right. more so like the short story as a means of, I, I guess in that avenue of telling kind of the the ghost story or having that kind of like supernatural element or being fascinated. In that. I don't know. I think yeah. a lot of that comes from, um, I don't know. I, I I feel like you know a lot of leaves have been turned over since in, since uh, Sleepy Hollow was written, and sure, maybe there's yeah. a lot of things now that it's. It's tough. It's tough to kind of evoke that sort of supernatural belief. I mean, shit. We have shows about ghost hunters. I mean, can we really say that ghost stories are you know on the on the decline? I mean, fair point. I think that things you know, and I think that things just just evolve in very different ways. And and I was jokingly saying, you know, it's like oh, internet memes are the short stories now. But I do think in a lot of ways, kind of that idea of of telling stories and and having that sort of experience uh with your friends or family or cohorts or whoever cuz you know a big thing in this book you know towards the end when he's at the party they're all talking about war stories and yeah. it's getting they're just enough a little bit away that the, that all the guys are kind of fibbing a little bit and they're the heroes of every story and things like that but yep. 
you kind of still see that today, but you see it in a lot different like mediums. You see it again in as you know in videos or God forbid even in like memes. You know, it's it's still it's still there. It's just managed to morph into something you know quite a bit you know different you know it's distinguished in a very different way than a traditional like all right here's the story of of sasquatch starring ryan and you Jacob. know i did just think one of the best like uh sort of tales like that um do you remember god this is probably like 10 years ago now okay the leprechaun in the tree in alabama yes or that video that went yes. viral like that's the that's oh that the, was more than ten years ago, dude. That was, was like that was like two thousand and five or six. I think it's been a while. It's been a hot minute. Oh uh, gosh! I mean that that would be like twelve years. So we're not talking too much of a difference. But anyway, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. But that 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 just came to mind as as sort of one of those uh, sort of I don't know, fairy tales, if you, if you will. Uh, you know, everybody <laughs> trying to see the the like leprechaun up in the tree. Um, and that video, I, I still want to go watch that. Uh, just the the people in that news broadcast were hilarious. Yeah, uh, just fantastic. The guy with the flute, uh, just the the pipe and his uh, like over coveralls. <laughs> yeah, just like I got it. This was the leprechaun's pipe that he left behind. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, play, play the I magic mean, yeah, flute. that's that's what's crazy. I mean, like just kind of taking an overview on all these stories is you know we're two hundred. And plus years removed from these type of things. And you yeah. can see a lot of the elements in this, like a lot of the elements in all these stories and a lot of kind of just the nature behind uh, what we're thinking about or how we kind of tell these stories. It's changed a little bit, but you still see bits of it there. You still see, you still see like little tidbits of, uh, I mean, hell, you know, even just the kind of the deal with the devil story. Like that's a very, easily relatable thing that that kind of translates and it's not necessarily as explicitly set forth now and in the way that it was in like you know the crossroads where it's you literally go to a crossroad and you make a deal with the devil i think it's you know there's a little more subtlety in how that idea gets interjected into into things that we're thinking about or things that we're talking about but it's still it's there it's it's a very poignant idea and um i i enjoy most of all, and anything else, when reading stuff like this, um, you know, because this is this is our first foray into this type of short stories. Like yeah. I said, we did the Sedaris book, but mostly we've been reading kind of long form fiction, and we'll get back to that next episode. But yep. um, those are great because you get a little bit of ideas. You get you know the i whatever the theme or an idea, you know, unless it's a certain book, like to the Lighthouse, for example, that was a book that really pushed home an idea. Yeah. Not a lot of books do that. A lot of books, it's a story, right? You're pushing home a story and we we take it for what it is. Um these are the story is kind of secondary to the idea. And I and I like that in in the in the form in which it takes in the short story and just sort of having this not exactly like a parable, but having just sort of the approach of here's an idea and here is how I'm going to get it across and it's brief and it's concise and, you know, it, it just gives you something to take in, to think about it, to ruminate a little bit on your own life and to, and to put it away. It's, it's not something that you have to spend, you know, a supremely long amount of time, you know, sort of thinking about or analyzing or anything like that. They're just short things that you go, huh, interesting. How can I relate that to my life? Or, oh, it's pretty spooky. It's the devil. But uh, I don't know. The big thing for me that I took out of all of this was just, you know, the idea of not letting yourself kind of get to that 
or or resisting the temptation to dip too far out of your morally comfort zone in order to kind of accomplish your goals or accomplish whatever means that you you want to get into there and i think that's an important lesson i think it is too and you know i think it's i think it's something that our generation is sort of the front end of the millennials seems to to care a lot about is like having you know, sort of uh, moral justification for things, whether that's, you know, the job that we that we do every day, uh, the food that we eat, the, yeah. you know, things that we buy. Um, you know, I, th- I think there's a there's a whole tie in to um, just sort of popular culture or current culture. Um, when you when you look at that. I have a ghost story. Okay. That I want to tell. Good. I was hoping I was hoping we'd get a ghost story in here. I don't have an explicit ghost story. I've had some supernatural stuff, but yes, go ahead. Give okay. me a ghost story. So um I, when when we first moved to Wisconsin, uh when when I was a kid, the first house that we lived in uh was an older house. Uh it was probably, I don't know, it was probably built in the nineteen sixties, seventies, somewhere in there. Um, but anyway, it was, it was super creepy, had a basement. So moving from Texas, like, you know, there weren't, there weren't basements. Um, and uh, I was always afraid of the basement, like, you know, in, in the dark and, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, like home alone. Yeah. And then, um, but the, the creepiest part about that house, first of all, my dad, uh, said that the, the house was built on an Indian burial ground, which like is just Good start. Yeah. Which is like always just something people say, like to make something haunted. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so I always thought about that. Like when I was in the basement was, you know, like that, you know, I was like level with the bodies, like that are in the ground. Okay. Like whatever. So, uh, my sister and I used to like, uh, turn off the, the lights, um, on each other and like freak each other out. Cause there were like, there were two exits to the basement. It was sort of a split level house. So on one side you had a half flight that went to the living room. Uh, and then on the other side you had a full flight that, that went into the kitchen. And, uh, so I remember, um, it was, it was early in the morning. Um, we were, uh, we were down in the basement, uh, playing toys. It was just kind of our, our playroom or whatever. And, uh, and we heard the kitchen cabinets slamming upstairs in the kitchen. Um, and, uh, so, you know, we thought our parents were awake, you know, it, it was, we were supposed to be in bed. Um, so, you know, we snuck up the back way and, you know, went, went back up to our bedrooms. Uh, and then a few minutes later, as, as I recall it, um, my parents came out and, you know, they heard the, the kitchen cabinets slamming, thought we were in the kitchen fucking around and uh, all the, or not all of them, but a bunch of the cabinet doors were like open or, or ajar. And, uh, and yeah, so there were like, we didn't, we didn't do anything in the kitchen. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, w- we sort of had this collective belief in the household, parents included, that that place was, was haunted. And uh, it freaked us out. Even, even then, I mean, my, my mom was, was really freaked out about, uh, about that whole thing. And then, um, I also had another time in, in another house that we lived in, we had an exposed basement and we had one of those like sliding glass doors. Maybe you guys are just haunted. It might be, it might be not the house, but Sorry, we had, we had one of these sliding glass doors with like the, uh, the blinds that like hung down like the plastic, you know, kind of, uh, single shades. Um, I don't know how to, do, what, what really they're called, but, um, 
so I, I was always afraid as a kid of like the gaps in the uh, in the blinds at night. OK. Um, and we kind of lived in the country like we, we had like an acre, acre and a half. And uh, we were in this like weird little valley thing. And it used to get really windy in this valley. And so I was always afraid of somebody breaking in because I was the only I was the one that like slept closest to that. My parents were upstairs and whatever. And uh, one night it was really windy and that door opened and we had the the latch was locked for the door and we put like a, a, a wooden dowel, like a, you hang your clothes on in the closet yeah, uh, in the track. So the door couldn't open and it had opened enough to like hit that, hit that, uh, hit that track as my dog comes busting into the studio. That was, that was, that was perfect, perfect timing. timing with the door opening. Wow. Yeah. He, uh, I think he heard door and he was like, yeah, Oh, he's good. I'll, I'll jump in. He's good. Um, uh, but yeah, so those, those two things freak me out completely unexplained, uh, occurrences. Um, what, what did you have? Any supernatural experiences? I've never had anything crazy like that. I've always just been weird. Like anytime I was home alone as a kid, I just, I, I had assumed that there were just ghosts around every corner. I would always go to the, <laughs> I always had this weird, uh, I always had this weird pattern. Anytime I would get up in the middle of the night or if I was home alone or doing anything and I had to go to the bathroom because apparently as I, when I was a kid, my mom and sister, we, we used to watch a lot of movies, but apparently I was just scarred because we watched a bunch of movies where they had this, and you've seen it before in, in plenty of horror movies, it's the it's the bathroom mirror jump scare, right? Oh, yeah, Somebody yeah, goes yeah. in to wash their face, they bend down, they wash, or they, they get out of the shower and they wipe, and they come up and something's behind them, and they turn and it's gone, and then they turn back and it's in front of them or something like that. Yep, I yep. swear to God, for the first, like, Listen, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to, you know, it's fine. It's okay. I'm, 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 a, I'm an adult. I can say this for the first like 27 years of my life. <laughs> I've always, I've always washed my face with a very like upward glance. Like it's like, I'm not, I'm not taking my eyes off this mirror right now. If somebody's going to pop up behind me, I damn well, I'm going to watch them walk up to it. So no, nothing like completely uh ghost story like that. It's just more so, I don't know. I've just, I've always been a very, uh, I don't know. I've always been a very weird person about whenever I'm alone or whenever, you know, it's yeah. spooky time or you're out in the woods, or you're doing something like that. You always get kind of a chill up your spine and you don't know why, or you, you can't really explain it. It's just something's there, whether or not it's in your imagination or it's, you know, beyond the, your line of sight or whatnot, but something's there. All right. I've got one last, uh, Oh my last God. You were story. like upstaging I, no, the hell out of me. You got I know. Three? No, I know this isn't this isn't a personal go for one, it, go for but this it. is this is local to, to us. So okay. I actually do you remember um, I, I told you to go out and, and check out um, it's the old uh, Alton Bridge. Yeah, Goatman Bridge. Goat yeah, I went Bridge. all up in there, went underneath and saw all that fun stuff. OK, so so uh, obviously our, our viewers have not seen it or listeners. I guess we don't have viewers, but you could probably Google it. Oh, yeah. The window's open. Maybe the window's open. Views. We oh. might have viewers. Um. But so this this is an old like um, iron truss bridge with like a wood deck. Um, yeah. It's it's now closed. But when I first moved back to Texas in like 2002, you could drive over it. Um, okay. So, yeah, they like diverted the road now and it's a it's a whole different thing. But um, at least I think I remember that correctly. But any rate, there there's a story about Goatman's Bridge that I heard in, in high school. And this is like the only uh, sort of ghost story that I've ever heard, you know, that was like common lore. And the, the the lore is is basically that there was there, there was a a black guy um, Oscar Washburn who had like a uh, a small little farm he had you know, goats and and that sort of thing and uh, 
one day he hung a sign on the bridge that said um, to the goat man, pointing people toward his his farm to buy, you know, cheese or goat's milk or, or what have you. And uh, I guess the uh, the local uh, KKK didn't uh, didn't appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and uh, so they went to his house, rounded him up, took him to the bridge um, and uh, tied a, a noose around his neck, tied it to the bridge, threw him over the side. Wow. Uh, then they went and went. Uh, below the bridge and uh, there was the empty noose and there's a river that that runs underneath that and the water was still Uh, there was no sign of of what happened to Oscar Uh, so thinking he'd immediately run home uh, they went over uh, to his house and uh, burned the house down wife and and kid were inside the farm animals everything was was burned and Jesus uh, it was it was horrible and uh, so no sign of of Oscar still, uh, but then uh, it, it, the 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 tale is that um, you know anyone that's sort of around the bridge of ill repute, whether it's you know white supremacist background or you know just persecutes people, uh, the ghost of Oscar uh, will you know come out and uh, and attack you. And uh, at midnight, if you knock on the bridge three times, uh, he will also. Uh, come around or if you honk your horn uh in the little gravel parking lot there uh he will do the same why is it always three times i don't know three's just a a good good number two's too few and four just seems excessive like you're just urgent fair enough see that's less of a ghost story and more just like an awful story well of, no, it's not real just, it's not real there, so okay. yeah no i, I, okay. should, I, should I was say, like that's more of just like yeah, a terrible fucking yeah story. I, Holy I should have shit I, I yeah i mean it's, it's just a there's lot. there's no historical record of, okay. of this guy existing the homestead like any of this stuff i'm sure okay. the kkk was was around in texas uh but there is a variation where uh it was he was a slave um and they they did the same thing with the hanging but uh, his head got stuck in the noose, his body came loose, and his body went and grabbed a goat, ripped the goat's head off, and stuck the goat's head on his body. That's the other variation wow. I've heard to that. I'm really glad you suggested me to like go down there and, and take photos and didn't really kind of give me a background on this. You're like, oh, yeah, you should go to the old Alton Bridge. It'll be a lot of fun by yourself. Go for it. God, I screwed that up. I should have told you the story first, then sent you, or called you while you were there. I wouldn't have fucking gone. <laughs> I am, I am, and we're, we're, we're dawdling here, but we'll we wrap are. the episode up. I am a gigantic pansy when it comes to like spooky stories, or and I'm, I was traumatized as a child. My my mom and sister loved. They took much delight in taking me to haunted houses and doing their best to like make me even more frightened. You know, the actors would come out and they were, you know, you're a kid, but you yeah, don't realize yeah. how terrible it's like. Ugh! And my mom would be like, Jake, he's taking me, he's taking me, and I'm just sitting there, you know, bawling as a kid. Oh god, you know, it was it was cruel. So no, I would have not gone to the freaking old Alton Bridge had I known that. But whatever. All right, I'm here, so we're good. So, anything else, or do we want to get into ratings? Let's get into ratings. We how, are out of time, Chief. How do we want to do this? Do we want to do three of them separately, or just kind of as a collection? We'll do them as a collection. Okay. As a collection, I'm going to put them uh, bottom shelf for me. I'm keeping them, and I think that there's they're, they're an interesting read. Not something I'm necessarily looking to go back and reread. I'll recommend to some people. Um, yeah. So, I'll, I'll, I'll put them solidly on the bottom shelf, definitely keeping them. I agree. I, I I will definitely agree, and I will say that 
Uh, again, if you liked this theme, uh, you know, either the discussion or the stories themselves, go go check out some of uh, Hawthorne's other short stuff. Like he's known for the longer stuff, but he, he does have uh, short stories as well. And then obviously Poe and, and Melville uh, fit in quite well. Um, all right. Should we talk next episode? We should. So we've we've laid out, and, and again, this is on SoundCloud and on Twitter. If you want to go check, kind of what our plans are for the rest of the uh, of the year. But let's just talk about next episode explicitly. Yes, next episode. We're getting back. We're getting back into long form fiction, which will be nice. We we've kind of taken a little a little detour the last few episodes, so it's, it'll be nice to kind of get back into like one story, one whole kind of narrative, and back in that mix again. Yeah, so uh, next episode is going to be The Night Country by Stuart Onan, um, and that's going to come out on November 5th, and so we're going to keep with the sort of the creepy Halloween theme. It'll be a post-Halloween episode. Yeah, uh, but you can read it sort of during the time, which is which is why I picked it, um, but uh, in short, it's a, it's a, a fictional novel about a bunch of kids who die in a car wreck uh one of them survives and uh sort of how their ghosts um kind of interact with the people that are left behind and uh sort of observe uh you know how they how they move on um so it's great it's creepy um but it's it's also lighthearted. it's not like a not like a ghost story you'll be fine jacob okay thank you you're looking at me a little concerned say, gotta read uh, it what do we have daytime. after that uh, after that, we've got Steppenwolf by uh, Herman Hess. That's right. Uh, and then the following episode, we were going to do Cathedral by Raymond Carver. Um, I'm going to call an audible. And uh, in the next couple weeks, uh, actually right uh, before this episode releases, um, the Man Booker for 2018 uh, is, is going to be announced, or the Man Booker Prize, I should say. Um, so whatever that is, we're going to read that. I've read the short list, and there are some good things on there. Um, so we're going to pick whatever that is and, uh, and run with it. So check, um, check Twitter, or by the time you listen to this, you'll, uh, you'll already know yeah. what that book is. Um, but we'll, we'll announce it on, on Twitter and, and update SoundCloud accordingly. Yep. Um, in other, other news, we did get up on Stitcher, uh, Google Play, uh, TuneIn. Uh, what am I missing? Uh, like basically every major... Spotify. Spotify. Yeah. Um, every major uh, platform that you could possibly find us still on iTunes, uh, still on SoundCloud. So uh, hopefully now, you know, if you've been listening to us in a, in a place where you don't normally go, whatever your most convenient podcast location is, uh, we are there. If there's a place that you listen to that we're not there, tweet at us at Better Bookshelf, and I would be uh, I'd be happy to to go submit our podcast there too. Uh, so with that, I just want to say thank you for listening. Um, next episode, we'll have the Night Country by Stuart Onan, and until next time. <laughs>